5, and stand with me if you would, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to get into our Bible study tonight, we've got uh, some ground to cover for sure, um, I have pretty much told the Lord if, if we can't get through all this tonight, rather than blowing through it real fast, we'll just do two parts, so we'll see how this goes, Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. Brother Sean looks like the peanut sales guy at the baseball game. Who needs a Bible? Anybody need a Bible? Uh, so Galatians chapter 5. Let's start in, in verse number 1 because I want you to understand what this chapter is all about. So Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. I'm going to do a little bit of explaining as we read these first few verses of the chapter. And then we're going to get to the end of the chapter and really get to the meat of the message when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 1. Stand fast, therefore. That means to, to not move, right? Stay still. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, don't get, don't get stuck in this web of bondage. Behold, Paul, I, Paul, say ye that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law... Ye are fallen from grace. And, and I want to be very clear with you. This is not a Christian losing their salvation. This is the explanation of if you are counting on your righteousness and being a good person and keeping the law, all right, not, not just the law of Colorado, but the law of the Old Testament, the, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Those are all good ways to live, by the way. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. But if you're counting that on your ticket into heaven, the Bible says there, you're fallen from grace, and Christ is become of no effect unto you. Look at verse 5. For we through the Spirit, that's important, underline the Spirit there, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. That hope in Titus is called the blessed hope when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, now look, look, look if you would at verse number, skip down a little bit. Uh, verse number uh, 11, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. For brethren, this is us, ye have been called unto liberty. In other words, you're not under the law anymore. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. In other words, just because you're free from the law doesn't mean your life should be anarchy doesn't mean your life should be chaos and a complete rejection of God's instruction for your life. Just because your salvation does not rest on how you live, amen, thank God for that, it doesn't mean that you should throw caution to the wind and have no respect for the Word of God. And so Paul is going through the, this balancing act back and forth, but, but I want to show you something because today the, the issue is not so much the law versus grace, but rather the, the, the flesh versus the spirit. Look, if you would, at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, there's a battle there, and the spirit against the flesh. How many of you born-again Christians know what that's all about? All right, the flesh wants one thing, the Spirit of God wants another. And look what it says, and these are, the, are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. You say, I'm going to read my Bible, then you don't. I'm going to go to church, and then sometimes you don't come. I, I'm going to start being a witness for Jesus Christ. And you, you start to get things kind of choke your mouth, and you're like, well, I don't want to do it today, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And there's that constant battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Have any of you ever said, you know what, I'm going to get up earlier to read my Bible. Anybody here? And then the alarm goes off and you hit the snooze button. Anybody? Anybody? All right. All right. All right. So, so look, look if you would at verse uh, number 18. But if ye be led of the Spirit, that's kind of what we're talking about, how to be led of the Spirit of God, ye are not under the law. Then he goes into the works of the flesh. Now, understand this. When you got saved, your flesh is still with you. You've got the new man, Jesus Christ, inside of you. You've got the old man that wants to fight everything that God wants to do in your life. And those are both present within you and you're, you're battling. So he says this, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, that's uncontrolled anger, strife, seditions, 
heresies, teaching things against scripture, envyings. Anybody here ever envy anybody, right? Murders, drunk. Now you go, why would envy and murder be side by side? That's, that's the way we think is like, they shouldn't, but they don't belong together. Do you know why some people murder? Because they envy. All right, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, look what he says in verse 22. The first word in verse 22 tells you we're switching gears. But, now, now this, this, the, the first part of that addresses the part of you that if you, how, what do I have to do to commit the works of the flesh? Just don't do anything spiritual. And you will commit the works of the flesh. It, it's just the way that it works. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's all the good stuff. It's all the, what the world wants. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Look at the last one in verse 22, faith. Faith. We're going to talk about faith tonight and how that is a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Brother Sean, would you take us to the throne of God one more time? Yes. Father, I just pray that you be with the pastor as he brings the word that he will preach in power and with conviction that the Holy Spirit will minister to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me, let me just say it like this. You're, you have two different um, entities fighting for the same uh, space. You have two entities that are fighting for the same attention. You have two entities that are fighting for different objectives. All right? You, you've got the flesh. That's the old you. Now listen. When you got, let me, let me ask it to you this way. Did anyone ever teach you how to lie? How to, how to think a bad thought about somebody else? Anybody teach you how to be jealous, how to be selfish? Those things came naturally. And understand this, after you get saved, those things don't automatically go away. All right? Your flesh is with you until you die. You never get to a place where you go, my flesh is done. It no longer fights. It will always do it. You ever gotten down to pray, and even while you're praying, you've got thoughts going on in your mind that don't belong there at all? You say, what is that? That's the old nature from within you. But then, thank God, there's a new nature as well. Jesus Christ inside of you. And if you're saved, that's who The creator of the universe lives inside of you. If you're lost, you don't have that. The Holy Spirit of God comes inside. He goes, you know what? I want you to live differently than you did before. But it's not an automatic. There's some engagement on your part. Here here are the objectives of the flesh. Here's what your flesh wants. I want to please myself. I want to feed myself. I want to comfort myself. And I want to worship myself. All right? That's the flesh. Now, the objectives of of the Spirit are this. I want to please God. I want to feed the new man. I want to worship God. And I want to point other people to Jesus Christ. That's the battle that you have going on inside of you. And and, and in Matthew 13, the Lord tells a a parable of the sower and the seed. And and he says, you know, the the sower went out. That's someone that goes out to plant like in a garden or or plant a farm, if you will. And and back in the olden days, they didn't have farm equipment. They'd have someone go out and they, they throw the seed just like this. And he describes this man that goes out, and in the parable, that man is Jesus Christ. And he throws out that seed, and that seed is called the Word of God. And there are different kinds of ground, if you will, that that seed falls into. And there's some good ground, and then there's some rocky ground, and some stony ground, and some thorny ground, and then there's the wayside. And that's like throwing seed and just throwing it out in the wind, and it doesn't land anywhere. Let me just say this right now. If the seed of the Word of God doesn't land in the right place tonight, it's not God's fault. If you're bored, or your mind is somewhere else, or or you're thinking of something else, it's going to be wayside seed. But that's not God's fault. We live in a day and age where we're constantly entertaining images and and music and this and that. You know what God says? Be still and know that I am God. You know why why people that live in the city don't know? And I don't mean this to pick on, you know, separate us in classes, you know, country folk and city folk. But you know why people that live in, in, in more natural environments automatically know that there's a God? Because they watch the sunrise. And they watch the birds, and they watch the cycle of life, and they look at it, and they go, man, someone must have done this. You know what they are oftentimes more so than, than us that are hustling and bustling? They are still. You know what God wants to do with you tonight? Be still and know that he is God. 
The, the flesh does not like being still. The flesh wants to get up and move and look at your phone and, and do this and that. The Lord's like, hey, just calm. Tranquilizate. <laughs> Chill. Take it easy and be still so you can hear the word of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit of God says. There's that gentle spirit of God. He says this, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Think of it this way. When you got saved, it was like the Holy Spirit planting a seed in your heart. and You said, yes, I want you to plant that there. Yes, I will accept that. Yes, I will believe by faith that Christ died for my sins and was buried and rose again. And there was that little seed of faith that was planted planted in your heart, and that's what led to your salvation. But can I say it like this? That's not where your faith should end. That's where your faith begins. Now, the way you gain faith and grow in faith is through the Word of God. You have to ask yourself questions like this. What is preeminent in my life, my phone or my Bible? My family's advice or my Bible? My personal feelings or my Bible? Uh, anybody here ever feel a certain way uh, one day and you feel a different way another day? Anybody? Anybody? All right. So, so aren't, aren't you glad that your salvation and spiritual and eternal matters are not based alone on your feelings? Listen, faith, listen to me tonight. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is grounded in something a lot more stable than your emotions and mine. It's grounded in the word of God. Uh, listen, some people live their life by current events. I know some Christians that, man, you know, uh, Russia invades Ukraine, and this is going on, and gas prices are soaring here, and, and this is going And it's just like, that's their Bible. That's their authority. Listen, whether it's family's advice or friends or whatever else, you've got to decide tonight, what is my authority? Where will my faith rest? Is it in myself? Is it in what I think? Is it in what the teacher says at school? Or is it, in fact, in the Word of God? And if it is in the Word of God, know this much, you've got something that's not going to change. The Bible says that you are to understand that your old man is crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. He says it like this, that you put off concerning the former conversation, that's the old life, the old man. You know why he tells you believers to do that? Because if you don't do that on a daily basis, you will pick up all the same old habits that you had your entire life before you met Christ. And from here on out, you know what God wants to do? He wants to plant something in your garden. Look at Song of Solomon with me. Go to Song of Solomon chapter 4. Song of Solomon. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Song of Solomon is kind of like a love letter between two, two parties, between a man and his bride. And, uh, you know, when you've got little kids, you know, reading Song of Solomon, you're like, so what are you in your Bible reading? I'm in Song of Solomon. And you're like, great. What are you getting out of it? Oh, that doesn't make any sense to me. Good. That's a blessing. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> You'll understand it when you're married. Amen. <laughs> Song of Solomon. Uh, look, if you would, at chapter 4. And, and, and I just want you to see that in type or in symbology, Solomon, all right, Solomon being the, the king of Israel, just like Jesus Christ is called the king of Israel, Solomon being the king of Israel, uh, marries a Gentile bride, and that's what the church is. It's a primarily Gentile body. And he says, you know what, I'm going to accept you as one of my own, even though you don't belong. None of us belong in the family of God. The reason we're there is because of his grace. And he brings us in. He goes, you know what, uh, he calls uh, uh, his bride, he calls her my, my sister, my spouse. Look at like, uh, Song of Solomon 4, verse 12, a garden. Now look at how he describes his bride. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Underline that. Campfire with spikener, spikener and saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the cheese spices, a, a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. You know what he's describing? He's describing a picturesque garden. He goes, you know what? That is my bride. And, and I want to, I want to be able to go in and I want to be able to enjoy that garden. And, and if we are, as born-again believers that the Bible describes in Ephesians 5, if we make up the body, the bride of Christ, like the Bible says we are, if that is the case, you know what that means? Your life is like a garden. He planted some things in that garden and he wants to see some fruit from that. And believe it or not, here's the hard part for us to, to accept. The garden's not there for you. Your life is not there for you. 
Your life is that, listen, whether you're saved or lost, whether you realize this or not, the reason that you are breathing right now is because God lets you breathe. And the reason that you're doing that is to please him. You go, I don't like that. What kind of being would have me made for his pleasure? Uh, Listen, let me tell you something. If you can speak the world into existence, you get to call the shots. Until then, you, you ought to align yourself and at least consider what the Bible says about your creator. He designed you for a purpose. And once you get saved, you kind of get aligned with that purpose. And now he goes, okay, now that you're saved, I want some fruit from your life. What kind of fruit are you bearing? What, what are people seeing come out? Let me say it like this. We've planted some tomatoes and we planted some. You know what we did? We enclosed this garden at our house. We put rails around it and we put some fencing around it. You say, why? Because you're so self. No, because we don't want the rabbits getting in there and the dogs getting in there. and the, the bir- I even put this crazy owl looking thing that flashes its eyes and makes all kinds of crazy sound in the morning. And, and when the birds swoop down, it goes, you know, just to keep the, and the birds fly back away. You say, why? I don't, I don't want them going into that garden. That garden is not there for them. That garden is there for me. So you know what I do? I separate it from the elements as best as I can. When you get saved, God calls you out of the world. He says, I want you to be different now that you're my child. I don't want you living like everybody else because if you live just like them, they're not gonna look at your life and say, man, that's some fruit that I want. Because guess what? I've got depression. If you've got depression, I don't need your God. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Listen, if you're, if, you're, if you're just giving into the same lust and the same garbage and the same junk and you're living just like them, they will look at you and say, I don't need your fruit. I've got my own garbage. It's making any sense? So the Lord wants you to bear some fruit in your life. And guess what? That fruit's not there for you. Look, if you would, at verse 16 in this chapter. Awake, O north wind. We're taught from the scriptures that God himself is in the sides of the north. And that wind in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. We're talking about being, uh, talking about being led by the Spirit of God. The, the Bible says in John chapter 3, the, just like salvation, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. That north wind is a picture of the Holy Spirit breathing into your life and saying, this is the direction I want you to go in. Are you listening? Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices of may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden. You know what you ought to be able to say tonight? Lord, this is your garden. This is right here. All yours. And and you know what, Lord? If you want to come and you want to eat of your pleasant fruits, have at it. Because you put me here for you. So let me ask you tonight, what kind of fruit are you bearing in your life? I want you to understand that the moment you got saved... Listen, I, I, I hope this isn't weird for anybody, but I didn't know this. Little Olivia, all right, at 20 weeks inside the womb, already has 7 million primitive eggs inside of her. Crazy. You say, well, God designed it that way. You didn't evolve into that, okay? God designed that. And, and you need to understand, listen, that, that child in the womb, already has the capacity for when you got saved god put the seed all the life all the holy spirit god that you're ever going to need the moment you got saved so when we talk about the fruit of the spirit it's not that it's not in there it's that stuff is getting in the way and not letting it flow out there's some weeds in the way that need to be pulled maybe there's a lack of water supply i don't know what exactly it is but there's some stuff in our lives that gets in the way of god bringing out listen the bible says to work out not to work for but to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling you know what that means god put all this good stuff inside of you when you got saved and he's going look he's sitting back going i want to see it i want to see it come out i want to see you bear fruit i want to see you make a difference but you know what you do sometimes we choke the word of god we choke the things that god has put inside there and it's almost like putting a restriction on what god wants to bring out of our lives The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is faith. You had all the faith you needed when you got saved. But God wants to build on that faith. He wants you to grow in that. Let me say it like this. The old old discussion in the book of Galatians was, is it the law or is it grace? We should be beyond that by now. 
It is by grace. The Bible says in John 1.17 that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You are not saved by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven and be a good person, I appreciate you trying to be a good person, but that won't get you there. <laughs> and so God says you're going to be justified by faith, uh, by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. All right, so that battle's been taken care of, but this is the battle you face now. And, and the question is this, what fruit is coming out of your life? Is it fruit that matches the spirit of God or is it fruit that matches the flesh? And do, do you talk about anything spiritual in nature to anybody besides the preacher? Now, is, is everything in your life, and it's not always wicked, evil stuff, but sometimes it's just flesh. I'm trying to get you to think beyond the carnal, beyond the, 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 the here and now. Is there anything of eternal value that's coming out of your life at all? You know these kids who went to camp, you know why they came back fired up? They realized, I can do something that matters with my life. Right. And you know what? You don't have to go to camp to learn that. You're learning it tonight. God wants to extract that which is inside of you. The question is, what are you going to do to keep it from happening? Or what are you going to do to allow God to do that in your life? Understand that the seed is the word of God. There are things that we can choke in our life, choking the word of God and keeping that suppressed, or you can grow in grace. L listen, God did not save you just for you to be saved, and that's the end of it. God wants you to build off of this salvation. That's the foundation. Look if you go to Hebrews chapter number 11. Now, you'll find the term, the faith, throughout the Bible, the New Testament, the faith, the, earnestly contend for the faith, obedience to the faith among all nations, and when you see that, that, that term, what that means is the, the body of truth from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine that Paul taught delivered to the saints. The faith, the faith, the faith. But that's kind of more of a corporate thing. That's a, we believe in this, right? That, that's corporate in nature, meaning that oh, we Christians believe in the faith. That, that's great and all, but when does it become yours? You see, I, I think this, I think far too often Christians rely on the corporate side of things rather than making it theirs. You know what we tell young people? I mean, here we got these kids, six, seven, eight, nine years old, and they're coming to church, and they're getting a blessing. But you know what's going to happen? Right around the time, 13, 14, 15, they're going to face some, some struggles, and they're going to have to decide, is this my faith? And you as a Christian, when you get to so go, okay, uh, eternal security, yeah, the, the Bible is the authority for my life. Okay, yeah, that's what we believe. Okay, but how do you put that in your, in a place in, uh, to play in your life? You believing the right thing is great. You doing the right thing with what you believe is better. And you know what I found out? I, I learned this in my life. Faith is this abstract thing until I, until I start doing what God said to do with it. Now look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look, if you would, at verse 1. Here, here should be the structure, the structure of my faith. You say, what do you mean by that? What, what exact, how do I define what faith is? When you talk to people and go, well, the Bible says this, and you know what they'll say? Well, that's your faith. That's your truth. Is that not, is that not the case? So, so we have to establish this on the front end. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? If someone says no, okay, give me your car. I want your car. Well, why not? Well, why? I've got a gun, and I want your car. Is that fair? Well, no, that's not right. Not right based on... Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Now, who decides what is moral? Who decides what is righteous? Who decides what is wicked? Uh, according to the Bible, that's God. And so, and so we have to decide that up front. The, the, the structure of faith has to go back to a designer. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is God's definition on faith. This is not ours. People oftentimes think of faith like this. It's blind. I, I just believe it. Yeah, but based on what? I don't, I don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of mankind just because some guy told me. You understand that, right? That, that's not how that works. I, I, I had to go back to this book and go, okay, what does this book say about Jesus Christ? And, and as you get into this book, man, it, it opens your eyes. There is no man like that man. <laughs> the structure of my faith is not blind. Look if you go to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. The evidence. Now, look at, look at the words that describe it. Substance and evidence. When you go to a crime scene, you know what you got? You got evidence. 
When you look at the stars at night and you see the trees in the field and you see the rotation of the constellations and you see the navigation of the earth and you see all these things. You see the fact that if your heart beats too fast, you're dead. Beats too slow, you're dead. The earth moves too close to the sun, we fry like, like bacon. Earth moves too far away from the sun, we freeze, right? All these things that are said. You look at that and you go, man, the universe is God's crime scene. I can see something out there. And then I look inside and I go, man, I can see something within me because I'm not like whatever. I am, I am imperfect. I am broken. I am a sinner. And then I look into the word of God and I go, man, this is, some, this is unlike any other book on this planet. You know what that is? That substance and evidence. And while I have not seen all of it yet, I can believe it because there's substance and evidence to that. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Can I just say it like this? George Mueller, a great, great man of God, said this. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Now, I don't want to give too much of this away. We'll talk more about this maybe later next week. But uh, found a little bit of a piece of land out there and uh, a little bit northeast in the city of Aurora. And... Uh, it's for an amount of money that we don't have. <laughs> and some of the guys today were like, well, we don't have it. I'm like, I know. Uh, but God does. You say, what is it? Uh, well, we're at the end of our rope, but God's not. <laughs> you know what my faith says? My faith says God can do with God all things are possible. You believe that? Yeah. All right. Well, you know, the structure of your faith is it's not blind. There's substance and evidence to it. The Bible says is the best way to start your life. Because you know what Jesus Christ did when he was tempted? Uh, thus say the scriptures, thus say the scriptures, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. You know what the structure of your faith is? It all falls apart if God's word is not what it says it is. If God's word is not pure like it says it is, and God's word is not perfect like it says it is, and God's word is not inspired and preserved like it says it is, then you have no faith. You've got nothing. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, you know what you got? You got nothing. But you know what those men said? Those men said, we have seen him, we have heard him, we have handled him with our own hands. And you know what those men did? They told that generation, and they wrote it down, and that generation has preached that, those writings from generation to generation. It's been passed down to you because someone told them that told someone that told someone that told you. Your faith is not blind. It is grounded in something. You can't see all the fruition. You don't see heaven right now, but it's there. You don't see hell, but it's there. See, how do you know it? You say, well, I saw a documentary about a guy that went there. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but let me just say it like this. Now, some of you go, well, how's that different than the Bible? Uh, I'll just say it like this. Uh, this book was divinely inspired by God, and the way that you know that is, there are, there, are, there are so many testaments. The prophecy of the scriptures, number one. Prophecies that are fulfilled. Number two, someone asked me this week, what makes this different than another religious book? The prophecies that are fulfilled in this book. Number two, this book knows you better than you know you. That's why you don't like to read it sometimes. Because it points things out about your life that even the preacher can't point out. Number two. Number three, you've got a book written on three continents by 30-some authors over a span of about 1,500 years, and it all goes together like a glove? You know any of the writings, collection of writings like that? You, you, you're looking at, at something that spans from the covering history of 6,000 years ago to present mankind. And you know what? It's interesting because way back in the beginning of the garden, when God goes to them and he goes, hey, where are you guys at? You know what they did? They hid themselves. And shortly after that, you realize every time someone hides themselves or someone's trying to cover something up or they lie, it's because they're afraid of getting caught. From the very beginning of this book, it knows you better than you know you. So when we talk about faith, we're not blindly believing what some guy says from behind the pulpit. You know what I tell you all the time? Don't believe me. Check it out for yourself. Listen, when you get into the scriptures, you know what you find out? This is the structure for my faith. It's the source of my faith. Uh, Can I say it like this? My faith should be strengthened. Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. My faith can be strengthened. There's the structure of my faith. Then there's the strengthening of my faith, the strengthening of my faith. God doesn't want me to be without faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Remember that? (laughs) Look at Matthew 14. Let me ask you a question. If you were 50% of mankind that ever walked on water, 
Okay, and I'm going to give you a little bit, for those who don't know, I'm going to give you the math. There were two people, Jesus and a man named Peter. If you were 50% of that, say you're Peter, you're not Jesus, and you're walking on water, and, and everybody else is in the boat, and you are the only one that had the guts to get out of the boat, and you're walking on water, if, if, if I'm Jesus and I'm like, hey, Jose, come walk to me on water, and Jose starts walking on the water, and then he starts looking around, he goes, oh, man, I'm scared, and he falls down, I'm like, Psh. oh, ye of little faith. There's a bunch of you that are thinking like, man, what a jerk. But can I show you something? Look at Matthew 14. Look, if you would, at verse 31. Matthew 14. Peter's walking on water. Look at verse 30. Now, now remember this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things what? Not seen. You know what your problem is as a Christian? You want to see everything. And when you start looking at things, you're going to find out not everything in this world is for you. And you get your eyes on the elements around you, and you are going to start sinking in your faith. You're not going to grow in your faith. Look at Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was what? And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou of what? Can I say this? Uh, not everybody has great faith. If you got little faith and you can at least get out of the boat, get out of the boat. <laughs> Try something, all right? You may go, oh, I, drowned. I almost drowned. Yeah, but you, you did something. There were 11 other guys watching Peter, and I guarantee you, you know what they were probably doing? If, if it was modern times, they'd be like this. No way. Psh, oh, he fell. Man, I wouldn't have done that. I would have kept walking. Hey, Pete, you okay? But I mean, that's, my, that's, that's how we are. But Peter at least tried to, you know, he had, he had little faith. But can I say this? God wants you to go beyond little faith. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. God wants your faith to be strengthened. And, and I want to give you some tools for that tonight before we go. Matthew chapter 8. Look if you would at verse number 7. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, by the way, the centurion's a Roman. He's not someone that knows the scriptures really well. And so he's kind of the last guy that you would expect to have the response that he did to Jesus, all right? And maybe you feel like, man, that's me. I don't know the Bible very well. And I, you know what? It, it doesn't, you don't have to know a lot of scripture uh, to have great faith. As long as you're responding to the little bit of scripture you already do know the right way, you can have great faith. You don't have to go to Bible school. I think it's great to go to Bible school. You don't have to go to Bible school to have great faith. You know what you could do? You could do tonight to say, you know what? I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve God's punishment against sin, but I know that God loved me enough to die for me, and I accept Jesus Christ. That's great faith. And then you don't know a lot of Bible from there. You go, you know what? I don't know a lot of Bible. I know this much. God doesn't want me hanging out with those people anymore, and I'm going to take that truth that I do have and apply that. That's great faith. Now, he looks, here's a centurion that doesn't know a lot of Bible. And the centurion, uh, look at verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come into my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. You know what faith is reliant upon? God's word. Just, Lord, if you said it, I'm good with that. Look what it says in verse number 9. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go and he goeth, and to another, come and he cometh. And to my servant, do this and he doeth it. Here was a man that understood the principle of authority. And you know what we have? We have a generation of, uh, I mean, my generation as well, does not get the principle of authority. It's kind of like, who are you to tell me anything? And then God's word shows up in your life. and like, I'm not going to submit to that. Okay, well, you won't have great faith. And that's your choice. But here this man said, you know what? I, 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 I get the, the principle of authority. And look at what Jesus does in verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. You know what I would, I would think the Lord would like to do tonight? I, like, I think he'd like to look down on New Heights Baptist Church and find some people that have great faith. Well, how do I get that great faith? Well, you can be strengthened by your time in the Word of God, no doubt. How about being strengthened by your circle? I don't want to keep coming back to this, but the fact that this young lady said, I've got some friends I had to kind of move on in my life and, and do that. You say, well, you know what your circle is? Your circle is very influential in your life. And the people that you put around you will affect your faith more than you realize. 
You know what Peter says? I want to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You say, what does that mean? Uh, look at John chapter 20. Peter saying, look, I, when you're around the right stuff, it's going to stir you up for the right stuff. When you're around people who are walking with Jesus Christ and who want to grow in their faith, that's going to help you in your faith. Have you ever been around someone that's just Eeyore and no matter what's going on in the world, everything could be going on and they still, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's, 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 it's sunny, it's beautiful, yeah, but it's burning outside. I just wish it would rain. Then it rains. Uh, when's this rain going to stop? You ever been around people like that? Man, it just drains your spirit. Let me just say it like this. Spiritually speaking, if you're around people that have no interest in God, no interest in the Bible, no interest in spiritual eternal things, it's going to drain your spirit. It's not going to help your faith at all. You can grow in faith by being around the scriptures, also by being around the right circle. Look at John chapter 20. You say, what's going on here? Well, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has risen from the dead, and I want you to look at verse 19. The disciples hadn't seen him quite yet. They heard about him rising from the dead, uh, but not, not the whole group hadn't seen him. Peter and John knew about it, but, but look what it says in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, that's Sunday, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the what? It means he said right in the middle of all of them, and say to them, peace be unto you. And when he had so said... He showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith to them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they're remitted to them. And whosoever sins you retain, they're retained. Now look at verse 24. Who wasn't there? Now, now can, can I show you something? Brother Thomas, oh, hold on. Thomas. <laughs> Thomas wasn't there. Now, now, this Thomas is here, and that Thomas is here, right? Now, but, but, you know, we, we call him what? What do we call this guy in the Bible? All right, now, that's kind of unfair, I think. But he was defined by this moment, and here's what he was defined by. Look at verse 24. He wasn't with the 12. Now, I don't know where, where was Thomas. Who knows? It's like, where's Waldo? I have no idea. Where was Thomas at? We don't know. Here's what we do know. He wasn't around God's people. So when he's confronted with truth, how does he respond? I'll see you when I, I'll believe when I see it. Okay. But blessed are those that without seeing, they believe. Now, can I show you some things that Thomas missed out on? Look, look if you would, at verse 19, peace. You want peace in your life? Get around the right people. Can, can, can I show you something else? Look at verse 19. Jesus likes to hang out with his people. Can I say this? You're not going to. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say it. There, you're not going to find the Lord Jesus Christ at the party. Amen. You're not going to find him at the bar. You're not going to find him at... You, there are certain places that he just doesn't like. Well, let's be honest. Come on. Some of you don't like hanging out in certain places. How come you're like, how come Jesus is in there? You don't like hanging out in certain places. Some of you may not even want to be here right now. I don't know. But, but here's what I do know. I know this. Jesus likes to be around the gathering of his people. Maybe it's a good idea to be there when he's there. He stood in the midst. Can, can I point out there was peace there? Can I point out in verse 20, they saw a different side of him than they'd seen before. You miss out on that. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 21, he sent them out with the great, he gave them a purpose in life. You miss out on that when you're not there. He gave them a purpose in life. Uh, look at verse 22. They received the Holy Ghost. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Thomas missed out on all of that. So look at verse 25. When they came to him, how did he respond? Look at the end of that verse. I will not believe. You know what that is? That's doubt. It's the opposite of faith. Do you know why Thomas didn't have the faith he needed? Because he wasn't around the right people. Your circle influences you more than you realize. Christian, can I say this? In the end times, the Bible says that some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you know why some, some born-again Christians, born-again children of God, are going off the deep end right now? You know why some of that is? Because they've chosen to say, I'm going to find my own circle. You know why God brings you to a church? So you don't decide who all your friends are. Because you're not good at that all the time. And you look around, you go, I don't want to be friends with them. I know, neither do I. You're like, oh, they're kind of weird. Yeah, I know, I know. But you know what? This is where God puts you. You know what you ought to do? Say, These are my, this is my circle. Yeah. And now listen, I didn't say this is the only people we can hang out. We're not in a cult like lock the doors, don't hang out with anybody else. <laughs> I didn't say that. 
People hear things like, they go, he's a cult. We're not in a cult. Do whatever you want. But I'm going to tell you right now, you want to grow in your faith? Get around God's people. And you know what? What's interesting to me is how many Christians we'll make friends with. It's, it's an interesting. When you find yourself going, it's just easier to be friends with them. Ask yourself why that is. When God brought you to a place and said, here's my inn. I brought you to the inn. I want you to get taken care of spiritually. I've given you a church family. Why don't you get around them? Your circle makes an influence in your life. Can, can I put it to you this way? Your virtual circle. Your be real. Your Snapchat. Your Instagram. Your live. Is that whatever? The, is it, live, live in. Live in. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm hip now. Live in. What, what, your, your, whatever, whatever your circle is online, that's going to affect you. And let me just say right now, I'm going to make it very uncomfortable for a lot of you, and I'm so sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry, all right? Some of you young men, do you know why you struggle with lust so bad? Because you have a wicked circle online. And you need to cut the cord once and for all. You go, man, I just keep going back. I can't, I can't grow in my faith. Maybe look at what you're surrounding yourself with. I'll put you this way. Listen, if, if I struggled with alcohol and I was going to the bar every night going, God, give me help. God, help me not to drink. God, help me not. I'd be an idiot. It's not God's fault. I'm going to the bar. Do you understand? The same thing applies in your life with the people you surround yourself with. That doesn't mean you look at them and go, I'm better than you. I don't want to be around you. It's I'm so weak and my flesh is so strong. I've got to create a new environment for myself. That's where you grow in faith. The people that I know that have grown their faith and have been consistent and stable as believers, there's some things I can point out. Number one, they're, they're here when the doors are open. Number two, they detach from the former life. They create a new circle. Number three, they don't just read this on Sunday and Wednesday. You want to grow in your faith? You can be strengthened in your faith, but there's some things you're going to have to do. Understand this. Your faith is something that God wants to bring out. You know what that means? He wants you to show it to the world. So your faith should be strengthened, but your strength should be shown. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And so the the author of the book of James, without getting all the doctrinal stuff there, he says this, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. It doesn't mean that you're saved by your faith, but it means this, once you are saved, you should be living out your faith. I, I gotta be honest with you guys, I've talked to a lot of Christians and I, I, where I went to school, I know a lot of people, and they go this, I'm a Bible believer. I'm a Bible believer. I believe every, bo- every word in this thing, even the maps in the very back. <laughs> I believe all of it. Okay, great. What are you doing with it? I don't care how much you believe. I mean, believing is a good start, but let me say this right now. You can believe, the dev- listen, the Bible says the devils believe and tremble. When I talk to someone about salvation, I go, are you saved? Well, I believe in God. Great point to start, but let me just say this. The devils believe in God as well, and they're not going to be saved. You had to do something of your own free will to accept the gift of eternal life. And if you're going to live out your faith as a believer, you're going to have to do some things as well. Mainly this, when God shows me that I need to do something or something needs to change, rather than being a stubborn donkey, is that okay? Is that all right? All right. Rather than being stubborn, I, I, I can say, you know what, Lord, if that's what you say, I'm not just going to believe it, I'm going to do it. You know, in, in, a, in a nutshell, here, here's, how you, here's how you show faith. You ready? You guys are ready for some real deep mystical teaching here. Here we go. I believe it. Great. Show me. You young guys, I can lift. 500 pounds. I want to see that. <laughs> we go to camp, we're like, yeah, you, you live, bro. You know, we wrestle and all that kind of stuff. And they're talking about, hey, hey listen, you, you say you can do it. Great. Listen, you believe what God says? Why aren't you doing it? You know what the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit's going, now it's time. Now it's time. Just like when you got saved, now you need to get saved. Don't put it off. You could pass away, just like that young lady in that car accident. Hey, take care of that now. Just like that, after you get saved, the Lord goes, hey, time to get rid of those friends. Hey, time to make some new ones. Hey, crack open that book. Hey, let go of that anger. Hey, 
What about you honoring your spouse the way you said you would when you stood at that altar? Hey, why are you yelling at your kids instead of having grace and patience with them? Hey, and you go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and you're like a goat instead of a sheep. You know what goats do? They butt all the time. Instead of saying, okay, God said it, I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to do it. I want to use this illustration. I want to be real careful with this because I know some people are going to think they're going to take this the wrong way. You are not in a church. We didn't even pass a plate tonight. You're not in a church that cares about your money. We care about your soul. Okay? Yeah, it takes money to keep the lights on, pay the bills and all that good stuff. That's part of it. And it's going to take money to buy a piece of land if you want to build a new church. Anybody know we need a new church? Anybody? <laughs> all right. So, it, yes, all that's true. But I, I want to tell you a story because I think it's one that's very fitting. There was a man that was going to a church about two hours from here, and he did that for about five years. And he said, you know what? I know I'm saved, but I feel stuck. I just feel stuck as a Christian. And Brother Spurgeon, anybody, anybody know who Brother Spurgeon is? All right. He's a real soft and gentle man when he <laughs> preaches. Um, uh, anyways, he was preaching. Nothing to do with the subject that this man was dealing with in his life. But he was preaching about something. And the man came down to the altar and he said, you know what? The thing that I just don't have enough faith in is to trust God with my finances. Now, that may not be your thing. You may be a great giver. Maybe your thing is, I don't want to trust him with my marriage. I can't trust him with my kids. I, I, I can't trust him enough to submit to the authority God's put in my life. I, can't, I just can't trust God. I got, I got to hold on to control. Are you hearing me? I don't know what it is in your life, but, but this man's issue was he just couldn't trust God with his finances. So he went down to the altar. He got up and he said, man, preacher, can I talk to you? He said, yeah. He goes, look, I, I haven't tithed in the whole time I've been here. He's like, oh, okay. Why are you telling me? Well, I want to get it right. So he walks out to his car. He goes, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to do it. He writes a check for his missing tithe for five years or whatever it was. Some of you are like, could he not show his face some other way? For him, that's what he needed to do. My question is, what do you need to do to get out what God has planted deep inside in order to show the world your faith? Let me say it like this. There's a crowd of people, whether you realize it or not, they got a bag of popcorn, and they're going, oh, he's a, he's a Christian. Let's just watch how he deals with this. Oh, oh, she's a Christian. They, they stole her car. How is she going to respond to that? Oh, she lost her job. Let's see how she, okay, let's see your faith. Oh, you lost your husband. Let's just watch. They're watching. You go, kind of creeping me out, Pastor. Are you kidding me? You're on like 50,000 platforms on social media and you're concerned that someone's watching you? <laughs> but when you talk about spiritual things, you're like, oh, how dare they? Well, they're, they're watching. Where's your faith, Christian? Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for the time of the Word of God tonight. Lord, I... I pray that you do with this study what you need to in the hearts and minds of your people. And Lord, I, I pray that Lord, if there's some area where you're calling your people to greater faith, Lord, that you'd help them. Give them the grace to do it. Lord, help them not just to sit, but Lord, to act on it. Lord, as was mentioned before, not being on the sidelines in youth class tonight, but actually jumping in and that takes faith. And Lord, everyone here is at a different stage. Some may not have ever experienced saving faith. And Lord, I pray that before they leave tonight, they would have. They could grab one of us and we can open up a Bible and show them what it means to be saved. But Lord, all of us, Lord, after salvation, have an opportunity to grow. Lord, would you help us? Would you help your people tonight? Lord, I, I ask it in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you don't have to. If, the Lord, if you want to come to the altar, you can. We'll make room up here. All right, but I'll just say this: If God's dealing with you about your faith, <laughs> maybe you ought to respond to Him the right way and say, "Lord, here's an area I don't want to let go of. Here's an area I'm struggling in. Here's an area that I want to hold on to. An area that I don't want to let go control of. And Lord, that's choking the faith that You want to extract from my life and what You want to show others from my life. God, would You help me tonight? I don't know. Listen. You may think what that guy did was extreme, and it kind of was. Sometimes it takes something extreme to get your faith moving in the right direction. Not to keep beating a dead horse, but I got to tell you, hearing a young lady say, 
I've got friends. I've got to change some things. Uh, man, that, that's, that's, that's extreme faith. At that stage of life, friends are everything. The sun rises and sets on friendships in high school. I know that feeling. For them to say that, that's a big deal. Adults, what about you? What are you holding on to? Are there some things that are choking the faith in your life? Here's what I can tell you. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to grow in your faith? You cannot grow in faith and divorce that from the concept of being in your Bible. You've got to get into that book and that book has to get into you to change you. And once you believe what it says and you know what it says and you believe it, then it's time to act on it. You know what the Bible says about Abraham? He was called the friend of God. God called a man his friend. Why did he do that? Because that man believed God. (laughs) Don't you want your friends to believe in you? (laughs) Well, Abraham believed in God. And God said, "I, I like that. I can do something with that man. Where's your faith at tonight, Christian? Not just the faith, but your faith. I'm thankful for the faith, the faith of the gospel, the faith of the scriptures, the body of truths delivered unto us from the apostles. I'm thankful for all of that. But that corporately doesn't do me any good until I make it mine. Just like the fact that Jesus Christ died for everybody on this planet, but each individual has a responsibility to accept that free gift or reject it. After you're saved, the principle still applies. He's, he put that faith inside of you. But there's some things you're going to have to do to bring it out. My comforter, my all in all, here in the presence of Christ I stand. Amen. Hope you got some from the Word of God tonight. Glad you made it. We will be here again Sunday at 10 o'clock for Sunday school and uh, 11 o'clock for our morning service. And without going into all the details, uh, by faith, could you guys just pray about our building situation? Uh, God has taken care of one thing after another, taking care of the downstairs. But this is a Wednesday night, and we don't have everybody here from Sunday. And when everybody's here at one time, we're crowded pretty good. And you know what? All I can tell you is keep wearing deodorant, keep taking showers. Hallelujah. We'll do the best we can. Uh, but, but we are in search of a new place. And uh, you know what it's going to take to get there? Faith. And let, me, let me give you this thought before you leave, okay? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen. You can't live up to your purpose in life without it. So I pray that you would take that tonight, chew on that, put it to work in your life. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. We hope to see you here Sunday at 10 o'clock. Uh, Brother David, all right, the uh, founder, the creator, the diviner, the uh, designer of 1631 brand. Brother David, would you, would, you, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight?